and then there were five. Welcome back to the second episode of the Politic Pod podcast. And thank you for the great support during the first week. We've got listeners from all around the world, from the UK to America to Singapore. So thank you for all the support. And also, remember, we're on a whole host of platforms now. We're on TikTok, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, and we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're everywhere, basically, now. So thank you all for your reviews and everything you've been doing. So today's episode is practically going to be all about who the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is. In the past week, the leadership race for the next Conservative leader and therefore Prime Minister of the United Kingdom has well and truly kicked off. And now there are five candidates left. They are, in no particular order, Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor, Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, Penny Morden, a Trade Minister, Tom Tugendhat, the Chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, and Kami Badenoch, a, a, qualities, a former Qualities Minister. So what we're going to do in this episode, me and Nassif, say hello Nassif. Hello. <laughs> uh, we're going to go through all of the different candidates and a few of their policies, how they're doing and what their prospects are. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Sri Lanka at the end. Of course, that's a very interesting situation, what's going on over there. But first, it's time for a little game, Nassif. Got a quiz for you. And today, so last week, you are 10 seconds to name as many Conservative MPs as you possibly could. You got six. Today, I'm going to give you 15 seconds for this one. And you have 15 seconds to name as many UK Prime Ministers as you can. So three, two, one, go. Winston Churchill, Clement Attlee, Harold Macmillan, Harold Wilson, Stanley Baldwin, Tony Blair, David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Margaret Thatcher, John Major, um, and James Callaghan. Um, oh, that, that's all. That's all. That was actually really good. Super fast. I tell you that much. It opens. <laughs> so let me count this up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. You got twelve. Well done. Going so fast that I was like, oh, I need to quickly jot these down. So twelve prime ministers, very respectable. Uh there's certainly been uh less than twelve prime ministers in our lifetimes. So, you know, very well then. Very true. All the way from Stanley Baldwin, so congratulations. So I think it's time to kick off into episodes. And who are we going to start with? Let's start with Rishi Sunak. Um, so he is currently the most popular with MPs at the moment. He got 101 votes in the last round. And he's got endorsements from Dominic Robb, Grant Shapps, Matt Hancock, Liam Fox, Mark Spencer. So he's certainly got a broad support. And he's almost certain of getting to the final two at this point. Do you, do you agree, Nassif? Do you think he's... Locked in I, I, think, I would say so, if, if, if the vote's going to be um, from MPs, because, I mean, the, the, the popular vote might not necessarily reflect this, but um, we're talking about MPs here who are going to vote in the next Conservative leader. And Sunak, I feel, is very popular, not only because he's been quite relatively um, uncontroversial, um, over the last few years, but also because in the eyes of many Conservative MPs, he's been an excellent Chancellor, 
um, in dealing with the the finances of the country, and he. He's one of those uh, MPs who can actually stand up for himself. There are, there have been instances where he actually had to disagree with Boris, with Boris Johnson on on tax cuts and whatnot. And um, I think ultimately he he seems very promising. He seems very um, civil compared to um, Johnson. And I, I think many Conservative MPs will either vote for him because. He is uncontroversial, very popular, and they like him um, for his economics or probably really um, just for his personality and for, for, for who he is. Uh, a, a bit of a refresher after the Johnson administration. Mm, definitely. Uh, I just want to point out, if you're listening, I don't know if you can hear it, but there's some my neighbour is currently having the chainsaw trying to chop down trees. So I do apologise sincerely. So Rishi Sunak, born in Southampton, former chancellor up until last week when he resigned in a, you know, a shock announcement that led to Boris's downfall. And you're right, he is the most popular MP, and he, he is, as you'd say, is relatively uncontroversial. However, he has taken a couple of hits with his wife's non-dom status, him holding a green card, at this time from December last year, and like about two years before that he almost seemed locked in to be an ex-conservative leader. Now, he seems a bit, you know, it's a bit icy with the public. Um, many people feel that he might be out of touch because him and his wife are extremely wealthy. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to have to see. He started off his campaign with this very slick video, uh, probably the best campaign video so far. And with the title, Ready for Rishi. I mean, w- what a campaign slogan. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I did find this quite humorous, though. I know he doesn't have full power. He had to grapple with Boris Johnson and his disagreements with Boris uh, have been made very public. Uh, with Rishi Sunak kind of reminds me a lot of David Cameron and George Osborne trying to be more fiscally responsible rather than tax cuts. Like he's more promoting of raising taxes. And we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but one of his slogans is rebuild the economy, which, uh, as I've said, he doesn't have, didn't have full power as chancellor, but considering he's been chancellor for two and a half years, <laughs> trying to rebuild the economy, he was in charge of the economy. I, I do find that quite funny. <laughs> uh, so let's go over a few policies of him. So in defence, which has become a bit of a big issue, with, of course, the Ukraine situation at the moment, uh, he's committed to maintaining uh, 2% GDP investment, uh, which is the NATO target, and he's called it a floor rather than a ceiling, which is exactly what Boris said recently. He said they agree on some things, uh, and he said that the levels of defence spending should be on arbitrary targets, so basically on the severity of the threat. Now there's a more severe threat, so defence spend should be higher than it was a few years ago, for example. He's also, he voted leave in 2016, and he currently backs the controversial Northern Ireland protocol. Uh, and he supported Ukraine spending, and as Chancellor oversaw, £2.3 billion given to them. But this is his big policy that differentiates himself from other candidates. Every other candidate has promised tax cuts. That's become the defining issue of this campaign. However, he's not done that. His rule is tackle inflation first, grow the economy, and then cut tax. So I'd imagine, because as of recording now, 
uh, there are three debates coming up in the next week, he will very much propose himself as the sensible candidate, saying that, you know, where are these other candidates going to get the money from? Because they either have to, you know, slash the public purse on like public spending on the NHS or any other department, or they have to borrow more money, which risks inflation. So I, I think that's a bit like I was saying before, David Cameron, George Osborne, trying to be more careful with their finances. But that's his problem. Uh, if he wants to be prime minister, while that, you know, in theory could be a more sensible option, that could hold him back from the membership because, uh, as we just said, he'll almost in against the final two. But once the final two is announced, it is decided between the Conservative members. And when compared with other candidates, polls show that he is really lacking behind other candidates. Like almost, I think it was Penny Morden, which is who we're going to talk about next, had almost double his votes in the poll. So that just shows, really. Um, I guess this is another question with him. Do you think he's tainted by Boris's legacy, or do you think he's so, like, adrift from it? And based on like how their arguments have been made public, do you, do you think he risks that image, being in the most senior position behind Boris in the cabinet for the past three years? I mean, what what an interesting question, um, but perhaps a very pertinent one. Um, I think you know, Sunak, having been involved with Boris's government, could risk being tainted by Boris's um, by Boris's sort of actions. Um, in, in the way in which he led the country. But I think when people look back at Boris Johnson's time as prime minister, they really focus on Boris and mm. Boris. That most of that, um, or at least in the minds of um, many people who I've met and with whom I've spoken about um, um, current day politics, um, they seem to think that, you know, um, regardless of whether they are Labour supporting or Conservative or whatever part of the political spectrum they come from, uh, it's always that the problems with the Johnson premiership were always about Boris Johnson and mm. that his other chancellors, however idiotic, quote unquote, they may have been, um, were ultimately led to, to be so because of Johnson. And I think Sunak might be in that camp. He does somewhat risk, um, you know, his, his, his candidacy to his legacy as part of the Boris Johnson government. But considering the fact that, as I mentioned before, he had uh, a few disagreements with Boris and that he was one, he was one of those uh, MPs who actually resigned on account of um, Boris's um, lack of leadership. And that now he's presenting himself as something very different that, um, to Boris Johnson. I think mm. ultimately, um, really people have sort of stopped talking about Boris with regards to the candidate. And I think that includes Rishi. I think if I could um, really take a guess, I think, I th I think Sunak is safe from, from any reputational damage that the Boris Johnson government might have tried to implement on him. Yeah, actually, when you put it like that, I do think he is safe. Uh, certainly not Nazim Sahari, his successor, who like arguably has lost his I mean now he's been kicked out of the race he's lost his um place in the leadership election and arguably that's because he's been tainted by Boris banking on him becoming chancellor which 
you know, that was a big risk by him and it looks as though it hasn't paid out. But I mean, I guess he gets to be chancellor for two months at least. So, I mean, he can't complain. That's a big role. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Rishi Sunak, it looks, unless something drastic changes, it looks so he's almost certain to go through to that final two. And that'll be uh, really interesting, you know, being in a being a very powerful British politician for the past few years and seeing whether, you know, he will be that new prime minister. Who knows? We're going to find out soon, I guess. Indeed, so, yeah. Yeah. And then the next person, and this is arguably, I'd say, the most interesting candidate. This is the dark horse of the race. And before this election, few people had heard of in the country. You know, still now, if you go in the street and say this name, people might ring a bell based on the recent events, but still might be a bit, oh, I don't even know who she is. And that is Penny Morden, who is currently a trade minister. And she got 83 votes, which is lacking behind Rishi Sunak's 101 vote in the last round. But I think it's incredible, her eyes. She's now the favourite in the race. And we're going to get into that in a second. But it seems though she's almost on course to be prime minister at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go over some policies of her. We've got quite a few here. So on the environment, she hopes for... This isn't a pledge, but she hopes for 3 million green jobs by 2030. She's pro-defense and military action, and she's actually Royal Navy Reservist, which is fairly interesting. She has quite a history. Um, she, was a magician, she was a magician's assistant in her young years. And uh, she, her, what else was it? Uh, uh, she appeared in a TV show called Splash, which is a reality. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, she was a prominent member of Vote Leave, and she's pledged wider economic reform. It's slightly unclear what she means by that, but she certainly seems to have big ideas, at least. And she's currently a trade minister. She's pushing to join the CPTPP, which is this sort of um, South Pacific trade agreement. She's trying to get a trade agreement with the US. Hopefully that happens. That would be an incredible get for us, but we know that President Biden's a bit iffy on the whole UK trade deal issue. Uh, and she's spoken of close ties with Commonwealth. And then on the issue of tax, unlike Rishi Sunak, she's saying raise the basic and middle rate earners' salaries in line with inflation. And that will cost £21 billion. It's unclear how she's going to fund it at this point. And that's a big issue for all the other candidates. How are they going to fund uh, their tax cuts that they've pledged? and she's promised to slash dual fuel duty by half. And this is next issue is something that's really dividing her campaign. And I think this is, in my opinion at least, very petty, and it's trans rights. Uh, so she's very much trying to be inclusive, and she's come under fire for saying a statement, saying trans men are men and trans women are women. To me, to be honest, I don't see any problem with that. She's spoken that biologically, she, you know, a trans man might not like that's a woman generally, and that there's security con, there's um, safety concerns in public places like toilets. But really, I, it's not woke. People are calling it woke, and that she shouldn't be the leader for that. It, that's completely petty. I don't really see any issue with what she said. It's completely plausible. We live in 2022 at this moment. We should just embrace it, you know. 
in my opinion, with that sort of stuff, I don't know about UNICEF, but you know, if it, you're healthy and you're happy, then you know, you do you. I think ultimately, yeah, but, but I, I, I would say you're right there. You know, um, health and happiness really are are the cornerstones of being able to, you know, live. And I think when people don't put that um, as a priority and shift that to the side um, on account of bigger political topics that will ultimately come to um, neglect the needs of people. Yes, I, um, I I can't help but perhaps agree with you there, Ben. Yeah, like that's my sort of opinion. There's like I, I know there's of course in the Conservative Party there's ish, there's um there's a debate about it, but I believe there's more pressing issues at the moment, like namely the cost of living crisis in Ukraine and everything else going on. Yeah. And then she's got some problem backers, though. She's got uh, David Davis and Andrea Ledson, two seasoned professionals in the Conservative Party. And as we said before, the polls are showing that if she gets through, she will be the Prime Minister. If she gets that final two, she will become the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, someone that few people knew about before this, uh, before this election. So, you know, crazy, incredible rise. Uh, so many people have criticised her for having vague ideologies, but I guess that keeps her appeal broad. She doesn't exactly sit anywhere on the conservative political spectrum. You know, she's not on the right like someone like this trust is, and she's not on the left of it like Jeremy Hunt is. It's unclear, but she can, I believe, in my opinion, she's best placed to not only unite the party, but unite the country. Uh, and she's also pledged a clean campaign in the face of dodgy and damaging tactics. I don't know if you've read about this, Nassif, but some of these candidates are just, like some of the stuff they've done, I think is just disgraceful to each other based on the same party, their colleagues. Uh, there were digital dossiers sent to Labour accusing people of tax evasion, of affairs, of explicit photos. You know, that's crazy, sending that's a labor as colleagues that someone that could be the next prime minister i just find that really damaging to the whole party and unnecessary yeah 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 uh but yeah she seems as though she can get to that final two whether that be Liz trust rishi sunak tom tugendhat or kemi badenoch she's against she will win that in the unless there's some you know radical event or big story in the sun tomorrow so yeah next person we're going to talk about we just said her name Liz Trust the foreign secretary she's one of the grassroots darlings in the party got 64 votes and she was trade secretary where she was praised a lot and now she's the foreign secretary her policies include a tough line against Russia diverting away from EU regulations and reversing the national insurance hike from day one that's her pledge and this is um, this two of her prominent backers, and many of her backers are Johnson loyalists. So they include Jeremy uh, Jacob Rees Morgan and Nadine Doris. Do you think that's an issue, having you know prominent Johnson figures that were backing him until the end, posing herself as more of a continuity prime minister? It's where many people want a sharp and clean break away from the Boris era. I think. I, I, and I think this relates to my previous point about Rishi, about how people 
might want to vote for him, not only for who he is, but also because he is very different to Johnson and he's certainly presenting himself that way. He's trying to present himself as something new, unrelated, and quite frankly, something that a, a sharp um, turn away from what Boris Johnson represented. I, if I can, um, like, be quite blunt here, uh, I think trust might do quite a lot of damage to herself, if anything, by trying to present herself as a continuity prime minister. Mm. Um, because, because, I mean, first and foremost, what does that even mean? That is the question that will be running through the minds of those who may or may not want to vote for her. The second thing I think that, and perhaps is a, a bit more um, important for her to consider, that is why. I mean, she should very well be aware, really, that Boris Johnson was not popular. In fact, he is incredibly popular with all, almost all people from across the country, Labour, Conservative, Left, Right, whoever they are, everyone seems to find Johnson very distasteful and quite clearly don't want another Prime Minister of the like. So for her to then say, oh, hello, I am a continuity Prime Minister, I'm just going to, you know, turn away slightly, but, you know, continue basically in the steps of Johnson with my supporters who are all fiercely loyal to Johnson as well. Let's be quite frank. The, the reason why all of this is happening in the first place is because Johnson himself was very unpopular. I think, if anything, her, her campaign is perhaps a bit of a kamikaze campaign um, now that she's trying to present herself as something, as, as really a continuation of Johnson, which, let's be quite honest, no one will want to vote for that, or very few will want to vote for that, given the fact that the whole point of this um, race between um, conservative candidates for the leadership was um, caused by the fact that there was a drift from the Johnson government and the fact that now people are looking to take a real, real sharp turn away from that which was represented by Boris Johnson. Mm, definitely, I agree. I, I think her... I'm trying to work through her processes in her mind. I think her hope is that she'll be able to get into the final two because we know lots of MPs are still Johnson loyalists. They backed him until the end. We mentioned a couple before. But once she gets to the final two, she could face a real hit from the members being the Johnson continuity prime minister. And I don't think that will help her in the long run. But she does have a good chance, I think, against Rishi Sunak. If it's against Penny Morden in the final two, I think she'll struggle. If against Rishi Sunak, I think that'll be a lot closer. That'll be really interesting to watch if that comes to pass. And she could get there if the whole of the right section of the party, so, you know, the Suella Bravman supporters, the Pretty Patel supporters, the ERG backer, and she did support Remain a few, uh, when the referendum happened, but now she's embraced Brexit. And there have been suggestions that this could happen because it's happened in previous election campaigns that Rishi Sunak's team, if he's comfortably going to get into that final two, they could start voting for, like, he could, or him or his team could start sending some of his backers to support Liz Truss instead 
so that Liz Truss gets into the final two against Rishi as she may be seen as more of a preferable candidate to go up against, given Rishi Sunak a better chance of becoming prime minister. And these are these like dodgy tactics and backstabbings that happen in leadership races. They're not as clean cut as general elections. There's, you know, allegiances change a lot and there's back, there's agreements who's going to be in the cabinet. And that's why many people support them. For example, Grant Shapps, uh, I'm going to pick on him here. He supported Rishi Sunak because he's one of the front runners. If Rishi Sunak becomes prime minister, Grant Shapps will likely get a senior role because of that. It'd be like what Matt Hancock did a few years ago supporting Boris Johnson, which even though the two didn't seem to align that much. So very interesting what's going to happen. And these last two candidates, they're outsiders, unless they have, they could have great debates, they could, you know, have a rapid overnight turn, but they're probably going to get kicked out soon. And they are Tom Tugendhat and Kemi Badenoch. So we're going to go through both of them, we're going to have a discussion. So Tom Tugendhat, he's a military veteran, and he has never hold, held a ministerial post in his life, actually. As we said before, he's chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee and he got 32 votes in the last round. So really on the low end, he's very much in risk of struggling. And so his policies, he's keen on that zero and he believes it could boost competitiveness in Europe in his eyes. A supporter remain, but now is a firm believer in Brexit. He's talked about uh, like diverting away from regulation that could unleash apparently hundred billion pounds in funding for the UK. Possibly, we don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, you'd have to do your research and start and lay it out more. He's also a prominent skeptic of China, co-leading a group that is, I think it's called the Beijing Research Group, that is anti-China. He's talked of a 10-year economic plan that includes cutting tax, keeping fiscal responsibility and cutting the cost of government. And he wants the UK to be the most investment tax-friendly country uh, within this group called the OECD within five years, which is this allegiance of economically important countries. Uh, he's uh, supports using the military and public and private sector workers to tackle the NHS backlog. He vowed to continue the very controversial Rwanda policy. M many candidates are backing it, so they believe that's what's needed to tackle legal immigration. We'll see what comes to pass with that. And he's he's not got a massive amount of prominent supporters. He has got a wide range of them. But probably most prominent is the Trade Secretary, Armory Trevelin, at the moment. Many believe in he's next to drop out, but he's a good speaker. And with these debates appealing to different MPs and the members, he could get passed into next round. And then the next person we're going to talk about is a rising star from the party. She is an underdog, and she's a former equalities minister, and she got 49 votes in the last round. But she hopes she can do well. And that is Kemi Badenoch, who was raised, I believe, in Nigeria. I may have got that wrong, but I think she was raised in Nigeria as a child. She did her A-levels part-time whilst working for McDonald's. And she's been made popular for her anti-BLM speeches in Parliament. So her policies are including to scrap net zero 2050 targets, to reduce international aid. She wants a low-tax, small-state government. She's a firm Brexit supporter and has spoken against subsidising student degrees with low job prospects. Uh, that's become, that's another debate we could have another time about whether we should subsidise degrees that have little long-term uh, prospects. But 
as we said, that's another topic. Uh, and so probably her most prominent backing at the moment, she's got quite a few, but it's Michael Goof, real heavyweight backing from him. Uh, of course, Michael Goof has been in government for about, I think it's, oh, I'm trying to work, he's been in government for about 10 years, 12 years now, across three different prime ministers, been sacked three times by <laughs> But, you know, for different various reasons out of his control and he's always been brought back. He's a competent politician and many people are saying that Kemi Badenoch is competent. She definitely has potential. And this is a question I'm going to pose to you. So Badenoch and Tugana, it's, unless something changes, it's very unlikely they're going to be prime minister. But do you think they'll get cabinet roles regardless of who the prime minister is? Well, um, I can't, I, I really couldn't say. I think, um, as you said, allegiances keep on changing. And as a result, um, so does the likelihood of each and every uh, prominent MP to enter or exit the cabinet. And if I, if I can be quite honest with you, Ben, I really, I really couldn't say, but, um, I would say, yes, perhaps. Perhaps they do have some chance. Yeah, yeah. They've definitely raised their stock. Um, many people, well, most people wouldn't have heard of these two before this election. So they definitely stand a chance. Uh, so now we're going to quickly go over some ejected candidates. So Pretty Patel and Ben Wallace, despite speculation, did not run. Uh, Roman Christie, sorry if I butchered that name, but he raised eyebrows when he ran, had little experience. Sajid Javed Grant, uh, and Grant Chaps both pulled out. Nadim Sahari, Jeremy Hunt and Swella Rotherman all got ejected in prior rounds. So I've got some questions for you now. Is there any particular candidate of the ones to hear that stands out, whether it be for good reasons, bad reasons, or just intriguing reasons? I think, I think they all stand out. They're very interesting. Sunak, um, I think he's very popular with MPs, as, as we discussed, and he's very popular with many people. Um, he, w I mean, if, if, you know, he, if, if he were to become prime minister, his economic policies are certainly unique compared to that of his competitors. And um, the fact that he wants to keep taxes in order to fund public services, I think would perhaps, whilst not necessarily in the Conservative Party, unite um, support. It would certainly support some. Uh, it would certainly unite some support across the country. Or indeed, there are conservatives and um, people people who aren't conservatives across the nation who don't believe taxes should be cut on account of the fact that when we do that, we don't have enough money for public services. So I think I think he, he you know he, he's quite striking, and I think he's um, been relatively successful with trying to distance himself from Boris. Uh, trust, I think. She's very unique. Um, she has experience with trade and is now the current foreign secretary. She is a very prominent figure and um, she quite clearly has, um, I mean, we, 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 we can't really tell what her plans are, but she seems like an ambitious character. Um, I think, um, and, and, and the other three, I mean, you know, coming, given the fact that we've barely heard of them, but they've risen up to challenge Sunak and Trust, who have been very well known in the political game for the last few years. I think 
uh, the, the, the remaining three candidates are certainly from very unique um, backgrounds, very um, different backgrounds. And while standing for different things and with different policies, perhaps, overall, the one thing that all of these candidates share in common is that they are unique. And they are certainly different to Boris, perhaps with exception to Liz Truss, and um, to Conservative MPs, and by extension to the people. They seem to have, they seem to be very promising. They seem to be ambitious. They seem to have plans. And it seems clearly all of them are not just there for the sake of grabbing power, but it almost feels as if they're, they're, they're you know, they're going to be quite passionate about um, trying to run the country. So, um, yeah, if I, if I, if I might say, I think they all stand out to me, and um, it's a, it's a very curious situation, but um, it's rather exciting as well. Let's um, let's see what the future brings. Yeah, who's really exciting is someone like both of us interested in politics, and anyone listening to the show will be. Fall it, you know, might be a bit uh, uncertain over like the economic future of the country. Certainly interesting. Yeah. So I guess that leads on to our next question. And what do you think is going to be the most important quality of the next leader? Be it specific policy, uh, like it was a few years ago with Brexit, or specific leadership qual- uh, qualities that need to be had, given uh, what can only be described as a tumultuous time under Boris Johnson. Ah, right. Okay. I think um, I, I, I think for many people, including myself, this there's a, there's a pretty easy answer to the question: not to be Boris. That really, <laughs> I know it's rather it's rather funny to think about, but um, you know, like not to have the same level of reputational damage, not to be scandalous, not to involve oneself in things that could perhaps harm the reputation of the candidate or that could harm the government that uh, any future prime minister would lead. I think the most, the most important quality that both Conservative MPs voting for these candidates and the population of Britain uh, looks for, I think the most important quality really is just not to be Boris, to be anything but Boris not to be, um, quote-unquote, a clown, not to be the, you know, in speech marks, the joke of Parliament, as many people have called um, Boris, not to be a show, not to present yourself as if it's a pantomime, to actually say, you know what, I'm going to be Prime Minister, I'm going to run it, and I'm going to run the country well, and I'm going to do it passionately, and I'm going to do it seriously. That's what Conservative MPs and the people of Britain are looking for. They don't want I think either both groups, I don't think either of them want another Boris Johnson who goes around talking, but does very little walking. And if anything, does walking, but backwards. Mm, definitely. Uh, I think all five candidates will, like, you know, they'll all have their relative, like, controversies if they become prime minister over the next at least two years. Uh, but I don't think he'll, uh, I think he'll have a lot more integrity. And I think that generations or because of the lessons learned during this it's about living and learning and the scandals that went on during the past three years I don't think it'll be repeated and that's why some of the candidates focus on Penny Morden her 
slogan is leadership needs to change, trying to say we need a more, you know, uniting, um, more like a leadership of better integrity. Although when you say the pantomime, her launch campaign video was a bit of a pantomime. It was a little Britain-esque spoof. That wasn't the greatest, I've got to admit, but she's picked up a campaign, had a really good speech. So the final question I'm going to ask you is, who do you think will win this contest? Not who you want, but who do you think will win it? Who do I think will win it? Oh, um, admittedly, that's a tough question. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think as as unique as um, as as the three candidates that let's let's be quite honest, who came out of literally nowhere. Um, as unique as they are, I don't think any of them perhaps have a chance of winning, with exception to um, Penny, uh, Penny Mordant. Um, I think she has a good chance of winning, and I think so does Sunak. And I think, I suppose, I really do, I suppose that perhaps it might be her versus Rishi as the final move. I feel that Truss, Liz Truss, you know, she is experienced, she was a prominent politician for a while, but I, I just think her campaign of trying to associate herself with Boris in a race caused by Boris's unpopularity. I, I'm just gonna be, I, I, admittedly, she, she's probably shooting herself in the foot there. Um, let's be quite honest about that. So I think we can rule her out. And I think really it's gonna be Penny versus Rishi. I, I um, think they are, perhaps the most popular, uh, but more so the most credible. Um, and I, I think the, the, the other two um, candidates who, who, as I say, literally came out of nowhere, they look promising, but to be quite honest, not um, many people know about them. Um, uh, I, th I think um, you know, one of them doesn't necessarily have as much political experience, really. Penny seems to know what she wants, and Rishi also seems to have plenty of ambition and perhaps a solid plan. If I had to choose between either of them uh, as to who I think might win, that's a very tough one. And I, I have to be straight uh, with you, Ben. I, I don't think I can really answer that because they both seem very, very promising if you were to put them together in a um, in a um, candidate versus candidate debate. Um, so yeah, but but I think for the final two, it might be Penny versus Rishi. That that's what I suppose. Yeah, my kind of that, that, that's probably that's really good insight. My opinion, I uh, definitely think if Penny gets into final two, she will win. It, it looks as though she will do at the moment, but I can't help but knock this feeling that the entirety of the right, so everyone that supports Sarah Braverman, and maybe some of the candidates will swing behind Liz Truss and get her into that final two, and instead of Penny Morden. And between Sunak and Truss, I, I, you know what, that's gonna be tight, it's gonna be close. I think Truss might just do it, but if I was if I was a Ben man, which I'm not, well, it's illegal at our age, but. Um, I would bet my money on Penny Morden at this stage. Yeah. So, but there are free debates coming, as we've said, in the next week. 
and there'll be many more once the final two have decided have been decided. So we'll see. Uh, the Lord Frost, who led Brexit negotiations, all those years ago, it feels like ages ago now, he made comments against Penny Morton saying she was practically useless and lazy, uh, words to that effect, really, and said he had to ask the Prime Minister to move her on. But then other MPs have chipped in, said when she worked under them, she was good. So who knows, really? It's People have different opinions of the other people. It is uh, quite uh, intriguing, yes. Yeah. She has held, uh, I think, seven different roles within government, so she's got a wide range of different experience. Yeah. But what she is probably a big pledge at the moment is actually saying, I am the best placed candidate to beat Labour, and that leads us on to the polling figures for today. And we're not going to use... YouGov, like we prefer to, because YouGov haven't updated, well, they haven't got a new poll out. So we're going to use Savannah Comrades. I always can never pronounce that name, so I apologise. But we're going to go for it from their last poll. So the Conservatives got 28%, which is down by 4%. This is after the tumultuous week with Boris resigning. Labour got 43%, up by 2 The Lib Dems got 12%, which is up by 1%. Uh, the SNP on four, which is unchanged, and then the Greens uh, went up by one percent, and Reform UK went down by one percent. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Green vote, the Reform UK voters and Green voters didn't exactly swap. Uh, I should point that out because <laughs> I can't imagine many Green voters voting for Reform UK or vice versa. Uh, but it's interesting to look at the polling figures and what will happen because many, well, Labour. They're adamant now that we need a general election, but the candidates at the moment seem to be distant from it. Of course, both Theresa May and Boris Johnson held an election shortly after. It worked out very well for the latter, not so much for the former. Uh, and Labour have been able to dodge their whole beer gate. They've been managed to they've managed to overcome it now. So that's scandal-free for them at the moment, for now. And so yeah. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Sri Lanka. So, uh, they, if I'm correct, they imposed tax cuts just before the pandemic and they were already in a bit of an economic sit- troubling situation and then COVID hit and it wrecked it. And let's see if you know a little bit about this. That's right. Um, Sri Lanka, um, after gaining independence from Britain, um, was a relatively stable country. I say relatively because um, eventually, and now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, there was um, a, a bit of discrimination towards the Tamils, who, uh, the Tamil people who lived on Sri Lanka, they make up a significant uh, portion of the population. And so um, in, um, in 1983, this all sort of built up and accumulated and eventually um, sprung into a civil war um, this civil war would last 26 years, and it was um, between the government in Sri Lanka and the Tamil Tigers, who um, are, are, are famed for many things, not necessarily great, but um, who were trying to set up their own state called Elam in the northeast of Sri Lanka. The 26-year civil war only just ended in 2009, within our lifetime, as a matter of fact, and... Um, since then, Sri Lanka has been recovering. Um, Sri Lankans today don't really uh, divide, um, to my knowledge at least, don't really like to divide amongst each other. They now are 
united by the fact that they are Sri Lankan. And I think this was demonstrated in the protests recently with the storming of the presidential palace, that people stormed in, united under the Sri Lankan flag. Regardless of what you think of those protests, I think there's a real sense of unity there. Um, sorry. Um, but I think, um, if I'm not incorrect, just before COVID came around, there was a great deal of investment heading into Sri Lanka from all sorts of nations. Uh, one of them being China, as a matter of fact, who, of course, invests in nations and tries to set up a bit of um, a sphere of influence. But there's the so-called um, Chinese debt trap, um, which, which refers to the fact that China invests in infrastructure in places like Sri Lanka, such as ports uh, or roads, but then proceeds to say, well, hang on, we own this now. This is a Sri Lankan port, but it's under our ownership. And you have to remember, you have to remember the um, Chinese government, um, for them, everything is state-owned. So even in private investment that goes to Sri Lanka from Chinese investors is going to be state-owned. And resultantly, Sri Lanka cannot um, profit as much as it could from its own infrastructure. And remember, it's not just China who's using these debt traffics. There are other nations that do the same. Combined with the fact that COVID hit. And for Sri Lanka, that was devastating. It's a tropical country with um, not, the, not necessarily the best healthcare and is a very populated country. COVID really damaged, very much damaged Sri Lanka. And combined with what many Sri Lankans perceived as political incompetence, many of the politicians couldn't really bring themselves to sort out the economic situation in Sri Lanka. And in the eyes of many Sri Lankans, the politicians, including the president, were incompetent and um, very well damaged the country. With all of these factors combined, combined with the fact that admittedly Sri Lanka is still to some degree recovering from the civil war. Um, this really, in the last few months, really flared up and has now um, caused protests, riots after gas prices went up, after food prices went up, and subsequently the price of practically everything in Sri Lanka went up, even the common staple of, you know, your classic um, Sri Lankan fruits has, you know, everything's become expensive and not just as expensive in, in, in the same way that it has here in Britain, because we're going through a little co cost of living crisis right now. No, it's become expensive to the point that people are running out of money very quickly and cannot afford, uh, afford food for themselves. Um, and this, this eventually um, climaxed with, with the protests on the presidential palace, with the president resigning and fleeing the country, and with the prime minister's residence being burnt down. It's, it's a pretty um, um, tense situation over there. Very intriguing, but certainly very, um, very, very tense. Mm, definitely. And I, I think there's lots of, I, I mean, of course, well, far away in our economic and political situation at the moment from Sri Lanka, there are a few parallels, for example, like in post, like in the fuel issues at the moment, that's a prominent worldwide issue. So it's nice to talk about geopolitics from time to time and hopefully Sri Lanka gets itself out of that crisis uh, sooner rather than later. But I'm sure there'll be ripple effects for ages in the meantime. So we're coming to a close of this episode and like we do and like we will do every week, we're going to talk about on this day in politics. So on this day in politics, 
42 years ago, in 1980, Ronald Reagan formally accepted a Republican nomination to run for the pri uh, president of the United States of America. Of course, he led an eight-year extremely popular, I know it's a bit out of time now, but it was incredibly popular, his running of the country. And it's very much like many candidates in the conservative race pose, such as Kemi Badenoch having low tax and small state. Uh, and yeah, he had a massive impact on American politics, American economics, and whole, of America in general. So yeah. So we're at the end of the episode. Remember, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this show. Reminder, we're on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, follow us there. And that's it. Thank you for listening. So we're going to do a little outro monologue now. For the final five, the debates await. The picture of the who could be the next prime minister is becoming clearer. With dodgy tactics and constant backstabbing, it is still very much uncertain. Next episode, we shall know who the final two are. So stay tuned and keep listening to the show for more.